Welcome to the KKCL ELT podcast. This is a podcast for anyone interested in the world of teaching English as a foreign language. I'm Phil Keegan, Director of Studies and Head of Teacher Training at Catherine and King's College in London. Episode 3, Technology and Language Learning. With me in the studio today are three of my colleagues, Oliver Hipkins. Hello. Will Corner. Hi there. And making his debut appearance on the KKCL ELT podcast, Steve Munns. Hello. Technology. Are you a techie teacher or are you a technophobe teacher? Or are you lost and trying to find your way in the massive ocean in between? If you go to a conference today, it's remarkable. Half the talks seem to be about technology, a discussion of whether we need it or not, presentations of new apps and gadgets and gizmos and goodness knows what. I think a lot of teachers are wondering if they really need to learn about this stuff. Is it really necessary? And the question is, does it help learners learn? I thought it best to ask an expert, so I called up Nick Peachy. Nick is a learning technology consultant, writer, teacher trainer, and all-round nice guy. He's also the winner of the 2012 British Council Elton Award for Excellence in Course Innovation. So I think it's probably fair to assume he knows what he's talking about. Hi, Phil. Hi, Nick. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks for inviting me. It's always great to do these things. Great. Now I'm going to ask you a few questions. I'd like to start with a very general one. How did you get into using technology for, for language teaching and teacher training? What, was there a particular innovation or piece of technology that, that, that won you over, that got your attention? Um, strangely enough, it wasn't a piece of technology that did it. It was actually the birth of my daughter. Um, at the time, I was living uh, uh, in Barcelona and uh, do, training up to be a CELTA trainer when my daughter was born and I wanted to keep her in touch with sort of English language speaking as she grew up and uh, I started buying kind of CD-ROMs and things like that, that for her to play with that were in English and sort of had little books in, uh, digital books and stuff like that and I got interested in, in looking at the way she was learning and how she was playing games, you know, did, uh, computer games and things like that and what she was learning, that got me interested and at the time, I was, as I said, I was training up to be a CELTA trainer and I was working with a guy called Tim Hood who was doing a master's in educational technology at Manchester and uh, he was doing it distance and it sounded like a great idea. I knew nothing about technology so I thought, well, you know, do an MA in something I know nothing about and learn something about it. So it sounded like a sort of interesting thing to get into and uh, this was sort of in the late 90s that, and... Um, and I took it from there and I really enjoyed doing the masters and really started getting hooked on, you know, this sudden ability to find sort of loads of loads of information, you know, coming through your computer. So it's all your daughter's fault, that's what <laughs> Yeah, a lot of it comes down to her, yeah. A lot of things are her fault really. No, a lot of things I have to be grateful to her for, I think. 
Will, you taught in Japan for a number of years. I'm assuming that's where you started to use technology, where you were exposed to things that weren't even available here. Well, actually, no.、Um, yeah, there were some pretty fancy phones available in Japan at the time, but in the classroom, it really was quite traditional. I was teaching in junior high schools, and we had、uh, blackboards with chalk.、Uh, I taught a lot of kids' classes at one point, and this was all total physical response. And、uh, you know games with flashcards, and、um, yes, of course I used technology outside the classroom, and I was quite competent with that. But in the classroom, didn't use it that much. And it was when I got back to the UK in two thousand and eight, I just、uh, taken up a, a kind of part time or temporary、uh, job. One of the first classes that I, I took in the UK,、uh, I was talking about job interviews. Uh, and we were talking about psychometric tests, but the topic had come up in the classroom、uh, as part of the conversation, so I hadn't prepared for it. And I just recently got a smartphone, and it had proper access to the internet. And I realised that I could look up this、uh, psychometric test just using the smartphone in class. And it's funny because it felt like it was a bit, you know, naughty using the phone in the classroom. Yeah, I remember when mobile phones came out. I mean, I've been teaching a long time, and we had to ban them at first. Oh right, students were using them in class. They were ringing in class, and of course, when a new technology comes out, there are no rules or protocols for them at first because they're completely new. I I still remember the first time I I heard a mobile phone go off in class. It was in Austria. I was teaching at the university in Graz. And I was flabbergasted. I just, I just didn't know what to do. It was, it was such a new、mm. thing to happen.、Uh, you strike me as pretty connected by the look of your、uh, desk. You've got your standard issue PC. You've got your MacBook. You've got your iPad, your iPod, your smartphone. You're syncing things.、Um, so you, you come across as a bit of a techie.、Um, how did you learn this, and and why? Well, yeah, it's funny to be honest, because I mean, ten years ago, I could barely tell the difference between a computer and a lamppost. What happened was, I got a job in two thousand seven. I had started using computers at this time, but in two thousand seven, I started working at the University of Applied Sciences Technicum in Vienna. My boss,、uh, Otto, Professor Otto Mardadona, he'd, in, he'd invested a lot of the university's money in, in classroom technology. I mean, a lot of money, and none of the English teachers, and there were more than twenty of them, were actually really using it. And he was a bit fed up. So basically, he gave me a full-time job and put a MacBook in my hands. And said, "Learn how to use this. Learn how to use all the classroom technology, and then teach those useless English teachers how to use it." So basically, I bought a MacBook for dummies. Went from there, started playing around with all the technology, started looking things up, and I eventually did go on to to start helping the teachers with using the classroom technology. And、uh, I got kind of hooked on Macs, and yeah, hence my desk. One thing I was very keen to get Nick's take on was whether all this technology that's available nowadays is really necessary for language learning. Well, I, I mean, I think we should look at it from a student's point of view, and I think from the point of view of our students, they need to be digitally literate、um, to to have 
sort of chances of employability and to to sort of to um, have all the opportunities that are available in life now in the 21st century. And I think sort of part of that digital digital literacy is sort of, especially for language learners, you know, it comes over into communications and English language communications. So if we aren't kind of helping our students negotiate the communication world of technology, then I think we aren't doing our jobs to the full and giving them sort of the best of what they need to sort of be functional citizens within the 21st century. You know, I think we need to be sort of uh, helping our students to communicate with tools like Skype to make to write blogs, you know, and to, to do things like video communication and uh, things like that. That's an interesting point you're making there. What, what you seem to be suggesting is that language teaching has got to be part of the general education of people and, and that has to include a digital literacy these days. Yeah, I think it does. I mean, you know, I really think it does. When I first started teaching, we had things in course books which were sort of how to use the phone or, or how to write a letter, you know, and you wouldn't think of sort of just missing them out and thinking, oh, students don't need that. You know, and in the same respect, I think nowadays we shouldn't be missing out things like helping students to communicate by video conferencing or or something like that how to, how to help students to write a blog or you know because that's part of the the communication skills that they need in English for the 21st century a lot of points from Nick there digital literacy in the 21st century employability I mean is it really our job as English teachers to incorporate all these things into English classes what do you think guys I absolutely agree with Nick, to be honest. I think that students of English who are living in a society that's rich in digital media um, should be given the opportunity to use technology in the classroom and improve their skills, not only just language skills, but skills which are essential to their general education. I, I think it's increasingly important to enable students to produce their own digital content, uh, not just to consume it or indeed manipulate it. And one of the things that I teach at the moment is a, a web design uh, class for junior students. And this is part of a wider program of uh, workshops and activities that we do. Um, and I teach this workshop in English from the point of view of an English language teacher. So these students are learning new digital skills, uh, coding websites, uh, but they're improving their English at the same time. I asked Nick if he thought it was fair that experienced teachers have to spend time and possibly money learning about technology. I think it is fair. I think, you know, you, you would expect your doctor or, or your surgeon, if you were having an operation, to upskill, to use the most modern, you know, techniques and give you the best quality of service that they can. And I think it's it's um, equally fair to for our students to expect us to upskill and, and give them the, you know, the best quality of service we can. You know, I don't think that's uh, unreasonable. You know, as teachers, we should be prepared to learn new things as well. I mean, actually, I find learning new things exciting and it's one of the things that really excites me about technology is that you know there, there's always something new to learn you know you don't get kind of stuck in that boring rut of doing the same stuff all the time you know I, for me I think that's great you know and I, like, like you I mean I'm, I'm 50 or approaching 50 and uh, you know my daughter's 14 and I think I can still keep ahead of her a little bit and uh, you know and also the way she uses technology is sort of limited to a sort of you know to what what she enjoys socially she's not very good at using it to learn and it, it bothers me that she's not 
being taught that at her school either you know that her you know the the kinds of um homework assignments that she's given that involve using the internet aren't you know for me aren't very sort of constructive they're not helping her to learn use it as a tool to learn or to, a tool to develop her, her knowledge you know I, they're very kind of limited and, and that bothers me you know uh, that that sounds like a, a lack of teacher training. Yeah, I think it is a lack of teacher training and a lack of sort of teacher knowledge to some some extent, and and sort of a reluctance to change. An example of one of the homework assignments she was asked to research and write a, a biography of Martin Luther King, and uh, she just went to uh, Wikipedia, found one, and basically sort of summarised it, I guess. Whereas you know, if she had been asked to um, find five interesting facts or or, or about Martin Luther King, or decide which were the the most important facts, or or watershed moments in her li- his life. You know, she'd actually have to engage with that material a bit more, and and think about putting her own, you know, a- applying her own opinions to it. Or if she'd been asked to actually given some facts and asked to research them and find out if they were true. You know, this would be sort of pushing her to use the internet in more of a constructive and critical way rather than just as a a kind of source of copying uh, bare facts. As teachers, we have to change the way we think about the assignments we're, we're giving as well so that they do involve a lot more kind of, you know, interaction with the material not just fact finding you know it has to be kind of some some personalization or reflection on those facts or or checking of those facts or or something like that what would you say to a teacher who was a bit technophobic and lacked confidence in using technology how should they go about getting into using it I th- I think that the easiest and the best way in is to find things um that your students can do autonomously either at home or in a language lab and set them as uh, homework assignments i think the thing to try to avoid is putting yourself in 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 a, a situation that exposes you where you're having to use you know uh, technology in the classroom in front of masses of your students and, and when you don't feel comfortable about it or maybe you know there are problems with connectivity or something like that i think the place to start is start with homework assignments find you know ready-made materials there's lots of people producing uh, materials for english language learning online that are free you know the british council has a whole raft of sites where you can find sort of ready-made activities there's uh one of the sites that i like which is called lyrics training you know has songs on it which have uh, interactive kind of exercises built around them you know find some of those materials that are already made and just start recommending them to your students as homework tasks steve you've come up with a novel way of learning about technology and bringing it into the classroom at the same time. Well, yeah, as a technophobe myself, I realised the need to start trying to use some technology in the classroom, but I didn't really have any idea of how to use the various pieces of software out there. But I found out that my students themselves were quite up on all these things because they're young and obviously they've been doing it all their lives. So what I did was I divided a task in the classroom by dividing the students into groups and getting them to produce a short beginner's course for the use of PowerPoint. So at the end of the group work they had to make a presentation or indeed teach me how to use PowerPoint. So it was kind of a a win-win situation if you like. And do you feel confident using PowerPoint now? 
Yes, I do indeed. Um, I've started using it in the classroom. I made one of my first presentations a couple of weeks back about an overview of IELTS Writing Task 1. Another issue I asked Nick was, if a school decides to take the plunge and invest in technology, where should they start? The best place for schools to invest in technology is to invest in really good connectivity. You know, what I've seen in a lot of schools is lots of money spent on the hardware without the investment in the connectivity. And it's like, you know, buying a Ferrari and then not putting the oil in it to, to make it run. You know, the connectivity is the key thing. If you only invest in connectivity, you'll find that students start bringing along their own devices and connecting to your internet. That's really interesting you say that because I think a lot of teachers when you talk to them about technology and when you talk about people like yourself, I mean technology experts, people always assume that you're going to come in and say you've got to spend thousands and thousands on interactive whiteboards and on, on this gadget and this gizmo and so on and, and you're not saying that at all. No, not at all. I don't think that, I don't think, uh, no. I, th I think sort of interactive whiteboards are, are, are kind of on their way out and are, are a bit overpriced for what they are. You know, I think the connectivity, uh, um, certainly good thing. Um, if you're going to buy something else, then it would be a data projector so that your, you know, your teacher has something to connect uh, their computer to so that they can show things in class but and some decent speakers. But beyond that, you know, I wouldn't start recommending that. I, I, I'd never recommend that anybody invests in interactive whiteboards. If you have them, you know, they're a great thing to use and, and there are lots of ways you can use them. But I think as, uh, if you've got the money to invest, then I'd, I'd put it in the connect connectivity first. I think it's worth pointing out what Nick means here by connectivity. Uh, this is one a little bit for the administrators, but also for teachers. Uh, you're going to need a robust broadband and Wi-Fi system. And sometimes Wi-Fi uh, seems like magic, really, but it, it's not by any means, and it can be very temperamental. Uh, so it's important to get good coverage in all your classrooms so people can connect to the internet wherever they are. Uh, and it's also worth thinking about how many students are likely to uh, have devices and be using uh, the network at the same time. Uh, you've got to think about interference from uh, neighbours uh, or from other Wi-Fi sources uh, in your building. And there can be problems with the building itself in terms of the corridors, corners, uh, metal filing cabinets, all these things you might have to take into account. Of course, the best advice here is, if in doubt, ask an expert. But it's something that you really need to get right. Uh, it's a lot more complicated than, uh, say, setting up Wi-Fi in your, in your home. Really, my favourite bit of technology for the classroom is simply my MacBook, uh, a data projector, and a good internet connection. And I think I can do so much with that. I've got all my music on my MacBook, so I can use my music in class. I can go on the internet if there's a good internet connection, and even something simple like Google Images. If a word comes up, you, you can Google it so quickly and get up an image of it. If a person comes up, you can get an image of the person, you can go onto the internet, you can get information about that person, and all these things can be immediately incorporated into the lesson. It's really, really very, very useful. 
I use loads of YouTube videos in class. And let's not forget that showing YouTube clips is using technology as well. I think it's such a great resource for, for lots of visual information. Uh, and also, I love this idea that you can respond digitally to something that happens in class immediately, uh, which opens up a whole world uh, of possibilities. Yeah, and when you're dealing with people from different cultures, uh, for example, a few years ago I was teaching in Vienna on a summer course, and I had a bunch of women from Saudi Arabia who were the wives and, and daughters of diplomats. I got them to bring up um, YouTube videos of um, Arabic music that they really liked. And we played these singers playing their music, and then they talked about why they liked the music so much. And then, as I always try to do, I put up a video of Pink Floyd. They'd never heard of Pink Floyd, they didn't know anything about this type of music. But then I got to talk about why I liked Pink Floyd, and we had a really good discussion. And it wouldn't have worked so well if we hadn't seen the videos of the musicians playing the songs. Um, Phil, are we always going to have Pink Floyd on every podcast? It's entirely possible. I'll certainly do my best. Right. For those who were listening carefully at the beginning, this podcast is, in fact, Technology and Language Learning, Part 1. The reason, very simply, is that when I spoke to Nick, he had so much to say and it was so interesting and so useful that we thought we could milk it for more than one podcast. In podcast part two, we'll be talking about some apps and practical classroom applications that Nick mentioned, some of which we've been trying out ourselves, so we'll have some feedback on them as well, hopefully. Until the next time, it's goodbye from all of us here at Catherine King's College of London, and enjoy teaching. You have been listening to the Catherine and King's College of London ELT podcast. The podcast was presented by Phil Kagan and produced by Will Corner and Oliver Hipkins. The music was composed and performed by Oliver Hipkins, Steve Munz and Phil Kagan. <laughs>